This is Archive Atlanta, episode 84, Listener Q&A. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. It feels so good to be back. Little did I know I would tie my break just as we moved from global pandemic to social movement and racial reckoning. Um, I didn't have that on my bingo card. But as somebody that researches and shares history, I'm trying to take a step back and realize that I'm living through historic moments in time that my kids and my grandkids will be learning about one day in school. And yes, the pandemic is still scary and anxiety producing, but it has been wonderful to see people um, trying to learn new things and change their minds and how they see things and how they've seen things before. So I am excited to come back and I'm excited to have more episodes that uh, I'm going to talk about later in this episode, actually. Uh, People have been asking about them, but I'm excited to bring you new shows in the coming weeks. My first listener submitted question episode, and you guys had great questions. So I've broken them out into three categories. There's Atlanta history stuff, there's personal questions, and then there's site or building specific. Liz asked me, why do you think Atlanta has such a hard time keeping its historic buildings? I tell people this all the time, but the answers you're looking for are always in history. My untrained historian observation about Atlanta is that if you go back far enough, you can understand why we do not value historic properties. We began as a railroad outpost, which means that the people coming here were looking for work or opportunity. So it's not like they were coming to a, you know, an established city with a built environment. Then you have the Civil War, Sherman's march through Atlanta, and very little of the city survived. So again, we start fresh. And many, many people that came to Atlanta in that post-war period were capitalists. They were looking for opportunity like, hey, this city just lost everything. I bet it needs a clothing store, or I bet it needs a wagon shop. And it did. And then you have civic campaigns like Forward Atlanta, which I'm actually working on a mini episode about. But essentially, Atlanta used a massive boosterism campaign to lure corporations to the city starting in the 1920s. And part of this marketing program was forgetting all of the terrible stuff from our past. You know, like slavery, segregation, Jim Crow, race riots. It was literally forward thinking, and it did not pay to highlight the past or the old. So I think all of these things, and these are just some things, I think there's many more, but it gives Atlanta this obsession with new and shiny. And there is nothing we love more than building a new version of something we already have and then demolishing the old one. Radical Archive asked, does the Historic Preservation Registry offer any rights for people who built the place? This is a really common question about historic registers or historic nominations, and I will not pretend that it's easy to understand. Um, even as a layperson who's very interested in preservation, I have a hard time understanding federal protections versus state versus local, and so I'm going to cheat. I'm not going to fully answer this question today, but I promise that I'm working on an interview episode with someone who is much more knowledgeable than I am, so hopefully I can have just an entire episode where I can explain how how these protections work and how they don't work and what they can save and what they can't save. Griff asked, how does Atlanta's civil rights history factor into the Black Lives Matter movement today? Question of the day right here, Griff. Um, this is another 
question that really had me thinking I need to have a full or at least a mini episode that can cover the history of violent police, protests, and how long we've been dealing with this in Atlanta. The first thing is most people think of the 60s civil rights movement in a vacuum, um, but it's important to know that Black people in Atlanta have been fighting for civil and human rights since they got here. Uh, And whether you start that timeline just after the Civil War or after Reconstruction, there have been protests and marches and strikes throughout the last 150 years. So just focusing on police brutality for a second, in 1881, there was a man named John Burke who was accused of pushing a white woman down the stairs. Police drag him. You have uh, 500 black onlookers gathering to protect him. He did get arrested, but 200 people followed him to the station. Uh, Turn of the century, you have Pittsburgh, which I talked about in that episode. They dealt with really heavy-handed off-duty cops that would try to arrest black neighbors off-duty. Crowds of residents would gather to protect uh, black men from being arrested. In 1936, Thomas Finch uh, was murdered by a mob of white policemen after being arrested. The Summerhill riot sparked in 1966 after the police shooting of a black man named Harold Prather. And these are just some stories. So the activism gene is in Atlanta's DNA, and it's shown up since day one. I always say that Dr. King became the icon we reference today because he was born here with a hundred years of this history that he heard growing up. Someone asked, how did Atlanta keep more tree coverage than any other city? I love this question because I had no idea and I had never wondered about it, never researched it. Uh, I heard a story once that Atlanta kept so many trees because many of them had bullets embedded from Civil War battles, essentially making them unavailable for lumber. And as much as I want this story to be true, it's not. There is a Atlanta Constitution article from 1870 where the writer says, quote, the need for shade trees in Atlanta is glaring, end quote. And he goes on to complain why we can't be like northern cities who are planting larger trees so they don't have to wait for the tiny saplings to grow. If you look at the photos we have from post-war Atlanta, post-Civil War, it was pretty bleak. Um, Homes, businesses, and just stumps of trees are gone. By 1948, Atlanta is referenced as the city of trees. That's probably the first time I saw it in the paper. Um, And then it seems to be the mid-70s when we enact ordinances and then create groups to protect the trees. In 1973, Atlanta's tree canopy is like 65%, but locals were really worried whether the trees were being destroyed from disease or construction or storms. There was, I haven't delved into this enough to understand, but there was some kind of banding together. So 1975, there's like a tree preservation group and then Trees Atlanta, which is still around today, started in 1985. Today, in 2020, we have about 47% tree canopy, which is, I think, the highest city in the U.S. Okay, moving on to some personal questions. So Natalia asked, why did you move to Atlanta? And it was for a job, which I feel like is everyone's answer, because why else would anybody move to a semi-landlocked state in the Deep South? But seriously, uh, I had a job in New York. Its headquarters were here. Uh, My boss really pushed me to try life in Atlanta. I grew up in a very small town, an hour north of New York City, the kind of town where very few people leave. So I think he had this idea. He just knew. He's like, yeah, you should try it. And my parents were really supportive. I mean, they had both left like their home countries and crossed an ocean in the days before cell phones. So they were like, yeah, you know, you can go call us every day if you want, and then you can come back if it doesn't work out. 
that was 15 years ago. And now my parents actually live here. So, you know, my whole family's here and I can't imagine living anywhere else. Rachel asked, what neighborhood do you live in or which is your favorite? A lot of people think I live in the city of Atlanta limits, but spoiler alert, I don't. I am only about a mile and a half from the border of Atlanta, which I joke about, but I live in Smyrna. And this is not for a lack of love for Atlanta. It's more like we have a really blended family with ex-spouses and stepkids. And so we all live within a mile of each other and it works really well. I did though, um, especially when I was a single mom, I used to fantasize about buying a really small condo right over near Peachtree and 25th and 26th Street. There's a ton of great mid-century condo buildings there. And I find that really weird stretch of, is this Midtown or is this Buckhead? I'm not quite sure. I just find it interesting. I also love Cabbage Town um, just for the fact that it's so intact. I think it's the only part of Atlanta where if you had some costumed interpreters roaming around, it would feel probably exactly like it did 100 years ago. I also might have a theme uh, because I also love Whittier Mill, which I have an episode about, but it's another former mill town. And then just for drive-by fantasy house shopping, I love Collier Heights. I love everything mid-century. I actually bought a 1964 ranch, so I just love driving around Collier Heights and pretending the houses I would buy. And Tansy asked, what is your favorite personal history podcast and sites that you've covered? By the way, Tansy runs a really great vintage page. It's Xanathia Vintage. Um, She posts lots of history about vintage jewelry. So check that out. I will put it in the show notes. Um, So the first history podcast I started listening to was The Bowery Boys, which is about New York City history. So obviously, you know, where I was from and I just liked them. I liked what they were teaching me. Then I moved over to Backstory and I just found out that it's ending. Their, Their show is ending after many, many years. What I love about Backstory is that they take a current news item and then they give you the backstory on it. So um, like, you know, a senator finds out there was a yearbook photo where he was in blackface and they're going to give you the history of blackface, really connected to the present and also helping you understand the past. My personal favorite episodes, this is like picking a favorite child. Um, I think the fire department because they were the most welcoming group of people. It was the first time I got to speak to kind of an expert. So I got to meet Chief Talbert. Uh, Chattahoochee Brick will always be my favorite because I think it's an important story that many people don't know about. Uh, I love the Washerwomen Strike episode because um, I just, I love stories about women doing things in decades when they shouldn't be. So it was a very early time when black women striked for better wages. I love the bicycle episode, um, especially because I've been cycling a lot lately, but the history of bicycling is just really awesome. And there's a lot of it. And there was a lot of stuff I learned like lantern parades um, and Streets Alive, essentially, that we have been doing for a 100 years. Atlanta Coffee Shops asked, uh, do you have a favorite bike route or trail in Atlanta? Yes, I am an avid runner. I'm a fairly new cyclist. And so paths are my jam. And I have to give credit to all of the PATH trails, P-A-T-H. The PATH Foundation was founded in 1991, and they're up to like 300 miles of trails in the metro area. So I like it because there's probably one near where you live. Sometimes they're short and weird and they don't really go anywhere, but it's still nice to find this, you know, completed paved path that you can walk on. Um, More specifically, the Freedom Path I enjoy, which will take you all the way from the King Center 
to Stone Mountain if you really wanted to. Uh, I like it because it intersects the Beltline. It's rarely crowded. One of those things like when the Beltline is crazy, it's much more navigable to be on the Freedom Path. When it comes to bikes, I am a huge fan of riding in the street. Uh, I know it can be really intimidating and it sounds scary. I promise once you do it a few times, you will gain a ton of confidence. The good way to test the waters um, is to do a group ride. So once the pandemic is over, I love M plus M. They have really fun group ride on Monday nights. But I'm telling you, do it a few times. And it's one of my favorite ways to explore the city. And lastly, I'm weirdly obsessed with a trail that I've never actually been on. So this is sounds so strange. But Riverwalk ATL, it's a trail system on the banks of the Chattahoochee connected to Whittier Mill. And it's not quite public or open. It's hard to explain. Um, but I've, I've been following them on social media. And so I've you know seen the work that they're doing. It's all volunteer-led or volunteer-done. It's really close to my house. So I have finally figured out how to enter the trail and I'm planning on taking it soon. Um, but I will also link their social media because I want you guys to follow along. And Steph asked, how do you deal with parking in the historical areas of Atlanta to see them in the first place? I am so happy you asked this, Steph, because it is 100% privilege. <laughs> this is where being a white girl comes in really handy. I never trespass. I almost never trespass. Um, but I do walk around buildings like a super creepy weirdo. And being a white woman makes me very unthreatening to most property owners. I get to explore Atlanta without fear of being shot or arrested for being nosy. So with that being said, and understanding my privilege, I do exploring in three different ways. First is by car. And so this works best when I have a specific building or place with an address. And sometimes I get there and just there's no way to park in front of it. So I will park nearby and walk. Or my other trick is I explore really early on Sunday mornings. So most of Atlanta tends to be asleep for some reason before 9 a.m. Uh, and that lets you pull over with your flashers or, you know, slow down to take a picture or something like that. Um, the second thing I like to do is run. So although I do like to trail run, I will try to do some long runs in the city. And the, so this way I get some miles in, but I also get to just see things. Um, doesn't work out always when I'm trying to take a bunch of pictures because it turns my run into a very long endeavor. Um, but that is one way to see the city. My favorite way though is walking, especially in the pandemic. My husband and I have truly been doing date night where we just pick a neighborhood and sometimes we drive to it and just walk around. Walking allows me to see everything and really notice it. So we just did this in the West End and it was it was amazing because I had never seen some of these houses and I can really, I mean, he thinks I'm insane because I'm taking pictures every five seconds, but it really lets me explore a neighborhood. Elena asked, who are your three Atlanta historical figures and why? This is also really hard. <laughs> this is, again, it's like picking a favorite child. But I have a list of like five or six. So definitely Alexander Hamilton, if it is not evident um, by my episode about him. I love his story because no one else has heard of it, which is, I think is sad. But I like that he, obviously he came from being enslaved and then being a war veteran and then coming to Atlanta, um, you know, surviving the death of a wife and then creates the successful business. But then leaves a legacy. So, I mean, he leaves a legacy for his son to take over. Um, he leaves buildings for us to see. And then I love that 
they name their sons the same name. So there's like Alexander Hamilton the seventh. So I just have a spot, soft spot for Alexander Hamilton. Um, same thing with John Wesley Dobbs. Just one of those stories that I like to share because everybody focuses on Dr. King. And on Auburn Avenue, everybody passes uh, Dobbs's giant head there on the corner of the street, but nobody knows who he is or who his story is. Then I have Robert Alston. I did a mini episode and I think I released it as a regular one, but uh, he fascinates me because he was a white, you know, Southern slave owning Confederate essentially, but really changed his mind when it came to convict leasing and just the prevailing attitudes of the time. So uh, when he was assigned to convict leasing and then read about it, he wrote an expose and everybody hated him. And so that ended up being why he was killed. So you can listen to the episode to learn um, who shot him. As far as women, um, I love Layla Ross Wilburn. She was the second female architect, but probably the more famous one. And she has homes all over Atlanta for us to see. Um, She just was also kind of a spitfire. I did a mini episode about her and as little as there was for me to learn, but she sounded just like a really cool girl. And then there's Adrienne Herndon. Um, I love Adrienne. Again, I, I lean towards kind of feminist strong women, but she was very adamant when she married Alonzo Herndon that she was not going to give up her dream of acting. And she did. And she became a mom and she was still acting. She was still lugging her kid with her and didn't work out for her, but she brought that dream home and then used it to teach her students. And then she sadly died very young, but we can still see the home that she designed in the Herndon mansion. So the next group of questions, there's like five or six questions about specific places, um, or will I do specific episodes about things? The first thing I want to say is, if you have a question about a place or a person or whatever, send me a message, please. I do my very, very best to help anybody find out information about something, even if it's your house. I actually love looking up people's houses as much as possible, um, helping you figure out, you know, especially if you have grandparents or great-grandparents in the city, I will try to find what I can about them. There's no bigger pleasure I have than sharing people's history with them. So let me know if you have a question about a place. Um, Specifically, Sam asked me about the Met, and that is a development over there in Adair Park. It's Probably too small for its own full episode, but certainly I will talk about it when I do get to Adair Park, or maybe I will do a mini episode about it. Allie asked about history of Marta. Definitely on the list. Feels very overwhelming, but definitely on the list. Uh, Stone Mountain. So this is one where I didn't know if I was going to go OTP, but especially with the current climate and uh, the discussions about Confederate memorials, I'm definitely doing Stone Mountain. So I'm working on that actually right now. I hope to have it out in a few weeks. OTP episode. I, again, in a magical world, I don't have to work and someone pays me to do this all day. I don't know if I'm going to get the time to put out extra stuff about OTP, but I want to. I do. And I, and I still don't know how I want to release it. I don't know if I want to have, you know, once a month bonus episode or maybe just put them out regularly on Fridays. So that is still to be determined. Tiff asked about Fairburn. Um, and I'm going to reply to her personally, but same thing, like Fairburn, other towns, I will do my best to find out the history for you and share it with you. So there you have it, guys. That is the questions that I got. I hope that that helped or answered some of your questions. Thank you guys so much for listening. 
Have a great weekend, and I will be back next week with an episode about Inman Park.